Pilate has ordered or given authority for Jesus to be crucified. And so when we read, so he delivered him, that is, Pilate delivered Christ Jesus. And that's where we pick it up, verse 16. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one, in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his Mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so... They put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. Thus far we read God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for the your word that thou has given unto us, Lord. And we pray that we can open this portion of your word and we can hear it proclaimed by Pastor Bob with thy Holy Spirit as his messenger. We pray, Lord, that thou be with Pastor Bob and that we may understand these words that he presents. We ask that we can live our lives that are pleasing to you as we hear these words and take them out 
on a weekly basis. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And amen. I want to look at three things uh, this morning from this text, three main points. First of all, the cruelty of man. Secondly, the sovereignty of God. And thirdly, the purpose of the text. So the cruelty of man, the sovereignty of God, and the purpose of the text. First of all, the cruelty of man. You know, in, a, in the congregational prayer, I prayed in, in regards to our involvement as a congregation on that March 13th uh, prayer being held uh, around the abortion clinic. And you, know, you, you just think of the cruelty that is taking place there. And yet, when you do stop to, th to think about it, why do people do such things? Well, there's a lot of ignorance, isn't there? There's a lot of misinformation. There's been a lot of fake news that has been dispersed in our schools, across our media. A lot of fake news that the child that women carry really isn't a child. That's kind of the lie. The fakeness of what is going on here. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't exist really as a person. And so there are a lot of very ignorant people. They just don't know. They just don't understand. They haven't known the truth. They haven't heard the truth. In fact, one of the things that abortion counselors uh, in, in the right to life aspect of it tell us is that once people actually see what is inside of them, many of them do change their minds. Many a, a, a father, when he realizes what, what the woman that he has impregnated is carrying, says, we can't do this, this is a child. It's like it comes as news. But here in this text, although, although we could say, Yes, the soldiers are ignorant of who it is they are crucifying. They certainly know what they're doing. They are putting a man to death by a very cruel means. And so consider with me three things. The cruelty of man. First of all, what the soldiers had just done. Pick it up at verse 30, 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they have done the act. They have taken the nails, they have pierced his hands, they have pierced his feet. They have erected the cross, they have put it down in the hole. They have crucified a man. I don't think any one of us could ever begin to to reflect upon what this all involves. But these soldiers know exactly what it is they have, are doing. In fact, they're professionals at it. They're, they're, they're a, a group. There are, there are four of them that are used in, in the crucifixion. And they know exactly how to move. They know exactly their movements. They know exactly the place to put the nails. They know exactly how to make these crucifixions excruciatingly painful. They have learned over the course of the hundreds of crucifixions that they have participated in exactly how to make the agony last. 
consider what they have just done. Think of how cruel this is. This isn't instant death. This isn't walking into a school or a church building with your AK-47 and simply opening fire and, and death in the, for most of them takes place instantly. This is not even the barbaric act of a Middle Easterner taking a, a sword and chopping off someone's head. At least it's done quickly, isn't it? This was designed for agony. This was designed to make it last. This was designed to bring about death, but in a very slow, painful, humiliating way. Think of what they had just done. Not only in terms of that crucifixion, Look at 23 again. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. There they are, a man hanging on a cross in great agony, two other men on either side crying out as well, and these men entertain themselves at the foot of the cross by taking a garment and ripping it apart. There's probably some laughter. Probably some talking about, yeah, sooner or later that guy's going to pull his arm out of joint, just like we're going to rip this. The cruelty. Right underneath him. Right below him. Within earshot. Within visual sight. How demeaning. Cruelty, if you think about what they have just done. And think about the cruelty of what they are doing. Verse 24. When they come to the, the tunic that's seamless, woven in one piece, they say, let's not tear it. Here are the words that Jesus gets to hear in the midst of his suffering. Let's not tear it. They pay more attention and they have more care over the clothing of the man that is being crucified on that cross than they do the man. They could care less about these men hanging upon their crosses. They could care less about this man Jesus, from their perspective, what they care about is his clothing. And how are we going to deal with this? Eh, let's play a game. Let's, let's take some lots and let's cast the lots, and, and we'll see which one of us gets it. Let's have a little game. Let's have a little fun with this. You know, why should we argue and fight? Let, let's just, you know, take some 
dice, lots, whatever these were designed to look like at this particular time from a Roman point of view. We, we don't have a lot of clues, but it's obvious they're involved in a game. In a game of what? A game of chance. Let's see. See, it's not a game of skill. It's not a game of ability. They're not even dignifying Jesus by that. This is so casual. It is so callous. It is so hard. It is so cruel. Let's see which one of us gets to take home the rabbis. Two. Let's see which one of us gets to. Oh, what does it say up there? King of the Jews. Let's see which one of us gets to take home the royal clothing. Cruelty of man on display. Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. Here are the words that Jesus gets to hear from the cross. And as we read John, they appear to be the first words that Jesus gets to hear. See, nobody's going, oh, look at that poor man suffering. Jesus, I love you. Let's not tear it. Let's cast lots to see whose it shall be. These are the words that your Savior heard. But their cruelty doesn't end here, does it? It's what the soldiers are going to do. That's why we continue to read. What, what do they do? Hey, you! You dead? Hey, you living? Well, they perhaps got a few whimpers out of the two of the criminals. And so by whatever means they have, we don't know exactly what they do at this point. They break their legs. Can you imagine that? A, a, a man hanging helpless upon a cross within hours of his death. They come and break his legs. These men just seem to be so casual about it. If what we do, this is what, you know, when we're under the obligation, we've got to get these guys down, we'll just break their legs. They're not going to be able to rise up any longer on, the, on their feet to gasp for air anymore. Death will come quickly. They come to Jesus. End of the spear in the side. Hey, you, you, you. Already dead. 
And what do they do? Move on? Pass them by? No. One more action. Stick them in the side. Let's just make sure. And that spear pierces his side. The cruelty of man. But there is another side of this. There is also the sovereignty of God that is so on display before us in this passage. I want you to stop and think. Somebody won, didn't they? Somebody won this little game of casting lots. One of the soldiers went home with a seamless woven tunic that day. See, you got to carry the scene on, right? They divide the other garments. We've got this one piece. Let's cast lots. They do it. Somebody won. One of those four men goes home with the tunic of Jesus. Now, some people get very fancy, Phil, with this point, and perhaps you've read works of fiction about this robe of Jesus, this tunic, and the soldier who supposedly won it. You, you can write a neat little fictional story, can't you, about the one guy who has this, and maybe you can think and make it a little more fictional yet, and maybe you can turn it into a moneymaker, right? Maybe you can declare that... Uh, this guy later on somehow becomes a convert and later on he donates it to some Christians and later on it ends up, well, of all places in the Vatican. Now we can sell admission, let people come see it and pay price and we can make some money off it. You can do a lot of fanciful things. We don't know. God doesn't tell us what happened to it. Although I'm going to come back to this. But the text is telling us somebody won. And the person who won did so because God ordained it. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16. Proverbs 16. You probably know this text. You're probably aware of this text, many of you, but you probably never thought about it in context to this passage in John. Proverbs 16, last verse of the chapter. The lot is cast into the lap. See the soldiers? The foot of the cross? They're casting the lot into their lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. Whether it's numbers that show up, whether it's colors that show up, we don't know exactly how this worked. But however it was indicated, that soldier, when he threw those lots, 
the way in which they turned was determined by God. God knew exactly which one of the four was going home with the tunic that day. God knew exactly the number, the color, the word, whatever it was, that was going to turn up to be the winner that day. God knew. That is how precise the sovereignty of God works. But step away from the lots. Take a step back from that and look at the very act of what is going on. Four men at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Okay, God's sovereign over the role of the lot. But, but what about the scene? What about this whole event of these soldiers here? Well, what does John tell us? John tells us that this too happened. Why? Because it fulfills scripture. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22. If your Bible doesn't make the note, you should make the note. Psalm 22, verse 18. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing. What? They cast lots. Written by David. About an experience David never had. We never read anywhere in the Old Testament that any of this took place of Psalm 22 in regards to David. Nor of any Old Testament character. Psalm 22 is truly messianic. In other words, it's pointing us, prophesying to us about the Messiah, about Christ, about this moment in time. God is placing into the mind of David through the work of his Holy Spirit to pen words that point us to this moment of four soldiers at the foot of the cross. This will be a sign. This will be another proof. This will be another scripture. This will be another prophecy that is going to be fulfilled. God is sovereign over lots. God is sovereign over the mind of soldiers. Those soldiers aren't going, hey, wait a minute. We're in the midst of the crucifixion. Oh, that's right, Psalm 22, 18. That's right, we need to do that right now. Okay, uh, we, okay guys, go get some lots, get his clothing, because we need to fulfill Scripture. They have no clue what's going on. They are as ignorant as ignorant can be. Although one wonders if there was anyone standing there observing. We're not told. They should have seen. They should have observed. 
some rabbi, some teacher, some Pharisee should have taken note of, hey, wait a minute. They're dividing his clothes by lot. Wait a minute. That's in the Old Testament. Where is it? But we read none of that. You see, everybody is in a sense ignoring. Except God. Who is sovereign. Over the very act of four Roman pagan soldiers. Who have no clue of scripture. Fulfilling prophecy about our Lord and Savior. But let's step even further back than that. Let's take on the whole scene. Let's take the picture before us of Jesus on Golgotha, on a cross. Is this what God wanted? Are we at a horrible end? Is this a mistake? Was this event not supposed to happen? Is God just, from this point on, going to make the best of it? Is God going to go, man, they took my son and crucified him. How am I going to use this? How can, how can I work this out? You know, that's the way most of us are with our problems, right? We, we encounter a problem, we encounter something that happens, and now we go, okay, how can I make the best of this bad situation? Is that what God did with the cross? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Very first sermon preached after Pentecost, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, we might say after enlightenment in that way after clarity Acts chapter 2 verse 22 men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. According to not just the foreknowledge of God, but the definite plan of God. This was God's plan all along. This was God's purpose all along. How long? Before the foundations of the world were even made. You mean even before Adam sinned? Even before sin entered the world. God knew of this day. God planned this day. God purposed this day. This event of his son hanging in agony upon the cross, four men dealing with his clothing, casting lots to determine what happens to the tunic, is all in the definite plan of God. His plan 
to redeem for himself some out of the human race. And he thought of me. He thought of me above all. Thirdly, the purpose of the text. One, you might say, why does John include this? That, that would be another one. Why is John telling us of this? We, 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 we get a, a little snippet of this in the, in the other Gospels, but, but John gives us a lot of detail. What, what is John's interest here? Well, one, of the Gospel accounts, the only one who is actually present is John. John is giving us an eyewitness account. I think one of the things John is, is showing us is simply the disinterest in what has happened. Life goes on. People are passing by. People are going into Jerusalem for Passover. People are coming and going. There's, there's, there's a lot of movement around this cross. There's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of gawkers. No, there's, a, there's a lot of those, those people who as soon as they hear a siren, they're in their car following. Hey, there's a crucifixion up on Golgotha today. Let's go watch. But we've got scribes, we've got Pharisees, we've got chief priests coming and going. We've got soldiers, we've got family. There's two other robbers there. Who knows who they have there? But there's so much disinterest. They may be watched, they may be seen, but they're not really involved. We even read that those who Jesus loved are what? Standing at a distance. Nobody's really involved. Second thing I would have you note is the humility of Jesus. people of Jesus' day didn't wear underwear. If you take off the outer and you take off the inner, Jesus is naked. Now just think about that. What humility. Right? I mean, you're hanging on a cross dying. And you're fully exposed to the world. See, part of the Roman technique here is to shame. That's what this is all about. It's about shaming. To a Jew being naked in public is something they would never do goes all the way back to that Noah thing and, and laying in his tent and his sons and looking upon his nakedness and not doing so and taking that sheet and covering them. He had robes of glory. Kingly robes. 
But he set him down, Philippians 2 says. He humbled himself, came to this earth, wore our ordinary clothing. Think of that. The King of kings, the sovereign, the Lord of lords, Christ, the Son of God. The Word of God, who has existed from all eternity, who has created the entire universe, comes and wears our ordinary clothing, becomes one of us. And now, on the cross, they strip Him of that. They take away even that. He humbled Himself even to death on a cross. See, why, do, why does Paul add that? On the cross. Because the cross is the place of nakedness and shame. John wants us to remember. Because remember, back in the garden, there was one of those disciples who ran away, but dropped his clothing and he ran away naked. Oh. From what we understand, that was probably John. Oh, he was so embarrassed. Running in the night. Yeah, it's embarrassing, but probably nobody saw you, John. And John brings forward Christ on a cross naked. And he thought of me, and he thought of you. But there is, finally, a third purpose. Because this passage shows us the priesthood of Jesus. His clothing. See, pay attention to the piece of clothing that they're dealing with. It is a tunic. It is woven. It is of one piece. It is seamless. All there is is a place for the head to come through. Woven. Stitched. A great amount of time, a great amount of care. This isn't just a couple of pieces of cloth sewn together. That's what the outer garment was. That's why they could easily tear it and pull it apart. But this is not. Why should we ruin this nice piece of clothing? But you see, you need to step beyond that. And you need to reflect upon this piece of clothing. Where else do we find this? You find this in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus chapter 28 and verses 31 and 32, as God is describing to Moses the clothing that the high priest is to wear, when God describes for him the clothing that is to fit near the body of the high priest, he describes a seamless woven garment. All along, Jesus has been the high priest. The high priest is now going to become the sacrifice. This is the clothing 
of the great high priest whose name is love. John is pointing us to that Lamb of God again who takes away the sin of the world. John, who in the 17th chapter has pointed us to the one who prays the great high priestly prayer, now reminds us that he's been wearing the clothing. It's just a picture. It's just a little glimpse. But it's just another reminder of the one who is there upon the cross. Great high priest whose arms are extended as far as they can go. See, that's what Aaron did, isn't it? That's what the priests did. The priest stood before the people of God with his hands stretched as far as he can go. Blessing them. Putting God's blessing upon them. May the Lord our God bless you and keep you. May the Lord watch over you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. May the Lord be gracious to you and bless you. There he is, the high priest, hands outstretched. In love, you and me. In the meantime, suffers, and yet blesses as he sacrifices himself down at the foot. Let's not tarry. Let's cast lots and divide it. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the sacrifice of Christ for us. Oh, what love. Oh, what blessing. Oh, what grace in those outstretched arms. It was meant as cruelty. But you show us love. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.